Hello, I'm Lara Hamilton. Welcome to Book Larder Podcast, where we share author talks from the kitchen of Seattle's Community Cookbook Shop. Welcome to our first bonus episode. We'll do these once in a while in order to highlight holidays or special times of the year, or honestly, just because we have so many great authors coming through Book Larder that we want to share with you that we'll just have to add extra episodes sometimes. What inspired today's bonus episode? Well, last year, August 18th, was the biggest single wedding day of the year in the U.S., so we thought today would be the perfect time to bring you today's guest, Maria Ziska and the Newlywed Table. Maria is a California-based writer who has collaborated with the likes of Tartine's Elizabeth Pruitt and Squirrel's Jessica Coslow on their award-winning books. Forbes even named her one of the most influential people under 30 in the world of food and drink. This book is her first solo effort. And even if you're not a newlywed, there's a lot to love about this book. It's got great tips on setting up a kitchen, simple recipes you can enjoy anytime, and even advice on cooking with other people that can suit lots of domestic arrangements, whether you're a new couple, new roommates, or otherwise. Here's Maria Ziska and the Newlywed Table. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and thanks for coming today. I'm really, really honored to be here. It's my first time in Seattle, so I'm just even more thrilled to explore and, and to get to come to Book Larder, which I've heard so much about and, and it is even more glorious in person than I had heard. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about the book just to start. So it's called The Newlywed Table and when my husband and I got engaged, I went to the library looking for cookbooks that had recipes that two people could make together. And I found actually a whole section of them. They come out every year. Maybe you've seen some. Um, They're often given as wedding gifts. And I started flipping through them and they felt so outdated to me. Like it was usually the wife cooking for her husband. And that really didn't match with my experience cooking with Graham. We always worked as a team and it was very much cooking together. So I wanted to write a book that reflected all of those values of teamwork and of something that I've really found to be true, which is that any kind of success, whether in the kitchen or not, is always sweeter when it's shared. So I set out to write this book and um, in the end, he Graham's a designer and uh, he designed the whole book. So it was, it was a team effort, even in the making. And, uh, and we worked with a great photographer in Oakland, Aya Brackett, and also an illustrator, Mark Francisco, who lives in Tokyo. We had this, this dream team of people working together, and it was so much fun. And I'm thrilled to be traveling and speaking about it. So thank you again for having me. I'll show you how to make this poppy seed loaf. This is a cake that we often make, pretty much... I would say at least once a month, if not more. It's super simple. We usually have all the ingredients in our pantry. So it's the kind of cake that you can make when, you know, you're running to a friend's house and you're supposed to bring dessert and you, and you, you know, haven't thought of it until just an hour before you can make this cake. It's also great on the weekend when you just feel like you want something sweet that's homemade. You know, you want to do a little baking project. So I love it and make it often. Let's see, start with just a regular nine by five baking dish, loaf pan, and 
preheat the oven to 350, butter and flour the dish, which was done, thank you. <laughs> I was saying that this is like the most fun way to cook. I never get to do this. I'm always washing all my own dishes. And then, let's see, in a small bowl, I'll do all of the dry ingredients. And please just jump in with any questions at any time. Happy to talk about the book or, or what it's like cooking with someone you love, anything. One thing that I mentioned is cooking with a scale, which I know sounds like it's a little bit complicated, but I actually find that it simplifies cooking and it cuts down on the number of dishes that you have to wash after. So I'll show you just how easy it is. You turn the scale on with the bowl so that it's at zero and we'll measure the flour first. So it's 190 grams of flour. And I don't worry too much if it's like 192. It's not really that big of a deal. Okay, flour. The other dry ingredients are the poppy seeds, baking powder, and salt. So those aren't by weight because they're in such small quantities. So it's two tablespoons of poppy seeds and the baking powder and salt are together two teaspoons of baking powder and three quarters of a teaspoon of fine sea salt. Great, and then I'll just whisk that all together. And then this next step is a really good trick for cooking with lemons, a way to heighten the lemon flavor. So if you ever have a dessert recipe where you have sugar and lemon, I would always recommend doing this. So you measure the sugar first. It's one cup, which is 200 grams, 200. And then I like to zest the lemons right over the bowl of sugar so that it falls in. You know, so much of the flavor is in the oil, in the zest, and it's all just dropping straight into the sugar. So this is a good case for not, you know, measuring the zest into like a little tiny bowl and then adding that to the rest of the, the batter. You should, you should do it always above the, the sugar. And I've made it with Meyer lemons too, and that's really delicious. And then the trick is you make sure all the zest is in there and with your fingers, you just rub the zest into the sugar. You'll smell that all of those flavorful oils are, you know, almost like when you're on the beach and you rub sand on your skin. It's like they're coming to the surface and they become more pronounced and lemony and it just really draws them out. The sugar also turns slightly yellow. That's how you can know and it's really fragrant. Great with lime, also orange, grapefruit, any citrus. This is a great way to do it. And if you're making something that's savory, and there's no sugar in the recipe, you could consider doing this with the salt and it would have the same effect. Then we just add the other ingredients. It's really simple. So first is yogurt, one cup. You can use any kind of yogurt, but just a full fat is great. And then three eggs. Oh, and the vanilla. Okay, then you just whisk all this together. Um, I've tried this with all different kinds of whatever we happen to have in the pantry, and it, it's really lovely and a good, very flexible cake. Once that's smooth, then we just add the dry ingredients. Whisk them together. Then, using the spatula, 
you fold in a small amount of neutral flavored oil. And then you just fold that in and it gets this really pretty sheen when it's all mixed where the oil is just evenly dispersed and it kind of glows a little bit. So why do you put the oil in last? That's a great question. So the, the oil is spreading out across the batter and if you add it earlier, it would um, kind of combine with the, the eggs and the yogurt, which are you know also function in, in a similar way. And this way, it keeps everything kind of sealed in, in a nice, a nice moist cake. So yeah, it has this really pretty sheen and that's it. It's so simple. And then you just, you know, put it in your prepared loaf pan. And why do you fold in the oil instead of dessert? Good question. If you whisk, you would get air bubbles. And that can be good if you're trying to create air and from whipped egg whites or something like that. But in this case, you don't want any pockets that are going to expand in the oven. You want the cake to um, settle into the pan and have that sort of that pound cake texture that's nicely dense. Oh, and this is one good trick too, is once you've transferred all of the cake batter into the pan, I have learned to take the spatula and drag it, put it in a, you know just about an inch or so into the batter and drag it lengthwise along the pan. And that creates a nice seam so that when the cake expands in the oven, it'll rise beautifully and have that one crack along the middle that looks gorgeous. And sometimes cakes, you know, they'll like brownies will do four cracks around the edge and sometimes you get what you get, but this is a good way to sort of ensure that it'll it'll bake beautifully. And that's that is as simple as it gets. It just goes into the oven. It takes, let's see, about an hour. And in that time, I'm usually washing up the dishes, grabbing whatever we have to take with us, a bottle of wine, and you run out the door and you have warm cake that is fantastic the next morning for breakfast. It's very reliable cake. Is there any Yes, good question. He's so bummed he's not here. He loves this cake. And actually, we started making it when we first met in college. And he called it lemon bread forever. And so it was always like what he wanted for his birthday, lemon bread. (laughs) But it's it's definitely cake. (laughs) So he's made it. We love to make it together. The recipe he's been telling everybody is that's his favorite in the book is the one bowl brownies. And I'm so proud you literally only dirty one bowl to make the whole brownie batter. And they're fantastic. That's what he, that's what we made for his birthday this year. Do you have any advice for somebody asking for a friend, of course, who might like to involve other people in her business? Yes. Life, but is a little bit of a control freak. <laughs> I completely sympathize. I'm type A plus. <laughs> I feel the exact same way. I, everything else in my life, I, you know, my, my schedule, I keep a daily planner. I guess I've just learned that cooking, it's always more fun with Graham, even if at first it's a little bit tough and, or maybe something goes wrong. Even still, it's, it always turns out so much more lovely than if I were to do it by myself. So one of the things that I try to put into all these recipes is 
just sort of a removal of the stress. When you're cooking with somebody you love, you love each other, nothing, you can't do anything wrong. You know, no one's going to die. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and to just sort of take out, you know, that little bit of like pressure to just see if you can get rid of it somehow. Make a joke, start by opening a bottle of wine, whatever it is between you. And then once you start, it's wonderful. And I think that, I think that truly the, the happiest moments that we've had have been in the kitchen. And they're always, even if something goes wrong, like, for example, when we lived in New York, one night we were making pasta for dinner, and it was a really simple, simple pasta, just, you know, like a Tuesday night or something. And we added rosemary, and this is what made me think of it, actually, is we added rosemary, and Graham loves herbs. He would put mountains of herbs in everything if he could. But, you know, rosemary is pretty strong in small quantities, so... Um, so he was kind of taking charge of adding the rosemary and he chopped this huge mound of it. I don't know why we had so much. And he added all of it to the pasta and, and then put it into two bowls and we were eating. And it was so intense that it was like spicy. <laughs> and, and we started laughing, you know, and, and tried to rescue it by putting the pasta back in the, in the colander and rinsing underwater to try and get rid of the rosemary. And then even still, it was too intense. <laughs> and, you know, so, like, I think we ended up going to get a pizza or something that night, but yeah. we still joke about that that night. Years later, we're still making rosemary jokes. Oh, yeah. And so I think that there's something really sweet about that. Like, even even if something does go terribly wrong, it's it's going to end up being a great story. There's a section in the book at the very back called common cooking issues and how to fix them. And this was actually Graham's idea because sometimes like with the rosemary, things will go wrong. <laughs> and he had this idea that I could write about how to fix things like that. So there's, you know, what happens if you add too much salt to a dish or, or you burn a pie in the oven, cook it a little too long, how to, how to recover. So if you ever make a cake and it's a little bit too dry, because maybe you cooked it a little too long or it's just a dry cake, you can make a glaze, which is something that I learned from bakeries. They put glazes on almost every cake after it comes out of the oven and it just adds back a little bit of moisture and keeps the cake really great for a few days. So it's a good, good thing to do for any cake, I think. The key really is just equal parts, lemon juice or whatever citrus, and then you can use honey or you can use sugar or I've done it with maple syrup. That's really good too. You can use a fork or, um, or like a cake tester and poke little holes in the cake, or you can just spoon it on top and that works well too. Uh, Maria, uh, if I'm wrong, but I saw yeah. this study in Italy. Yes. Oh. I'm excited to go back to Italy next month to, wow. to teach in the program, the master's program that I, I graduated from. But my question is, Thailand cuisine inspires you? Definitely. Definitely. Not just the specific dishes, which I love. I mean, all of the pasta, the, there's a Negroni. I love a Negroni. But also the, the idea of food in Italy. I feel like the Italians really get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? That it's, it's such a part of life 
why work all day if not to have a great meal at the end of it? I feel like they really, like La Dolce Vita, they really get. <laughs> I was wondering if your cooking with your husband changes depending yeah. on whether you're cooking just for the two of you or cooking for other people. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I We, we have certain things that we make when it's just us that probably would be fun to make for friends too, but um, there's a recipe for chocolate toast that is something that my dad used to make for me after school for a snack in a skillet. You toast buttered bread and then using a vegetable peeler, you can make along a chocolate bar, you can make curls of chocolate and you put them on the bread for a minute, less, 30 seconds. And just when it melts, a sprinkle of salt and it's the best late night snack, early breakfast, anytime snack really. And so there are certain things like that dish that we really only make together. But yeah, I think there is something something special when it's just the two of you. I, ho- I hope that this book inspires couples of all kinds. And I think that you don't necessarily have to be a newlywed. Like I wrote it so that you could make it with anybody that you love and feel that connection in the kitchen, whether it's your roommate or your best friend or your sister. I think that there's something really special that happens when you're, when you're cooking together and creating something together. Do you have any particular dish that you recommend for those nights if you're tired and don't know what to do? <laughs> yeah, I love this question. And, yeah, that's, that's the provincial uh, dish for every Yes. When you come home from work and you don't feel like cooking. For me, it's often that I've been recipe testing all day. And the last thing that I want to do is do more recipes. <laughs> yes. There's, there's a pasta. I think the recipe title is Nothing in the Fridge Pasta. And it's the dish that we make when we come home from traveling or at the end of a really long day. Because you just need dried pasta, which we usually have. And then whatever kind of thing you happen to have in your pantry. You don't have to have anything fresh. <laughs> so like nuts, you could use pine nuts, walnuts, we've used pistachios. And then it's nice to have something really salty and small like an olive chopped up or capers, I think are in the recipe or anchovy is really good. So you get something salty and small and then something kind of rich and buttery. If you don't have nuts, you could use grated cheese. And that's it. It's just, you know, it hits all the notes that you want and you don't have to do anything. <laughs> you don't have to think. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah. We cook like that a lot. <laughs> do you have a go-to entertaining dish? Ooh, yes. There is a whole side of salmon recipe. Um, and I used to get kind of stressed about buying a big piece of fish or meat because, you know, it's expensive and you don't want to overcook it or undercook it and and wreck it. But I figured out this foolproof method for cooking a whole side of salmon. I go outside and I pick a bunch of rosemary sprigs and put them on a baking sheet to make like a fluffy bed of herbs. And then you put the whole fish down and drizzle with olive oil, salt and pepper, and then you bake it in a low oven. I think it's 250 degrees. And so it roasts really slowly, which means that it's not gonna overcook because it couldn't. And, and, it's, and if it's undercooked a little bit, you can always just put it back in the oven for a few minutes, no problem. So it sort of coasts into this perfect range of doneness. 
And it does that thing of, of removing the stress for me where I know like, okay, that's going to work anywhere between 20 and 40 minutes. It's going to still be great. And, and I think that that's really hard to get in a, that range of time, like a 20 minute range you would never find on a steak recipe or something like that. So I love, love making that. Yeah, I've actually just started recently cooking more with rosemary. A little tiny bit growing uh-huh. on my deck. And then I said, oh, add it to a recipe, like, better dried? Or mm. do you chop it up? Or, like, what is the best way? That's such a good question. There is actually a recipe for how to dry your own herbs, which is something that we do a lot because we have a bunch of rosemary growing. I always thought dried herbs were really dusty and boring, because when you buy them from the store and they're in you know, the usual spice jar quantity, it just has no scent. It's like sawdust. But it's because they've been hanging around on the shelf for too long in the grocery store. If you have a freshly dried herb, it's actually really, really intense. It's a great, easy way to... It's probably the easiest preserving food method. All you do is pick the strand, the sprigs, and then remove the bottom, like two inches, three inches, group them together in little bundles, tie some twine around them and hang it. And you want out of direct sunlight, but somewhere where there's um, open air. So we, we just put it like kind of near the stove where there's sometimes there's air blowing. And as long as it's not in the sun in about a week, maybe two, it'll dry. And then you can strip the, the leaves, store them in a spice jar. And they're so, so much better. The ratio I use for a good rule of thumb is three to one. So three, in terms of uh, volume, three times as much fresh herb to one part dried herb. Yeah, they're really, we've done it with sage. The, the herbs like rosemary, the, um, the really intense ones that are like, have these woody stems are best for drying. So basil's not great because it just kind of wilts. Thyme is really good. Sage is really good. Oregano, fabulous. How long would you keep the dry herbs? I'd say they're good for six months. And they make really nice gifts, too. Like you could package them up in a little thing around the holidays. Yeah, there's there's a chapter in the book of kitchen projects that are things that we make on a, on a weekend when you want to spend some time in the kitchen and have something to show for it. Things like apricot jam, or there's a recipe for homemade bitters, spiced bitters, preserved lemons. That's really easy. Things like that. When you do your groceries, what is that yes. one ingredient that's always there? Like Ooh. We don't want to miss it. Oh, great question. We use a lot of olive oil. So we buy the big, I think it's like three liter jugs. And we always have fresh lemons and usually fresh herbs. Dried pasta, definitely. I don't know. I think it changes every week. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a little bit about like pantry staples that are good to have. You know, things like flour and sugar, grain, whole grains. My, my dad grew up in Prague, so when I was a kid, and still today, he goes to the grocery store every single day as uh, just out of habit. Even if he buys one thing and it's like the newspaper, <laughs> he always goes. So, um, so I kind of 
fell in love with going to the grocery store, um, which I recognize sounds crazy, <laughs> but I love it. I love to go and see what's there and, and feel inspired by the first rhubarb of the season. You know, once I see that, it's like definitely going to make a rhubarb tart this week. And it changes, changes based on what's there, I guess. It sounds like you probably have nuts around a lot. How do you like Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. We store nuts in the freezer in Ziploc bags. They Nuts are so oil rich that they can go rancid really quickly. Um, and you've probably had, you know, from a, a mix, like an, you eat an almond and it tastes funny. So the best place to put them is in the freezer. And they don't really freeze solid like an ice cube because they have so much great natural oil. So you don't have to worry about defrosting or anything. You can just take them straight out of the freezer and cook with them. Going beyond cooking together, do you share grocery shopping responsibilities too? Yes, yeah. I get sort of being up who you're saying, asking for a friend. No, we we really do divide. I think it works best if you just divide everything evenly. And and lately, what we've been doing, which is kind of fun, is. Graham will write the grocery list. And because he's a designer, it's like beautiful. (laughs) So it's like organized by category. There's like produce on the left-hand column and then like meat and dairy. And he writes it out and then I'll go to the store and pick all the things off the shelves. And that's kind of a fun way to split that up. Some tasks are just like one of you will be better naturally at something like one of you probably can chop an onion faster and maybe one of you prefers washing dishes a little more than the other. And so I think it's good to kind of be honest and acknowledge that, yeah, I hate, you know, like whatever it is, like I hate washing dishes. Can you do that part? And then you do something else. And also to know that those things change over time for sure. And that no two couples are ever going to be the same. I think it's a really freeing thing to just to acknowledge that, okay, what the way we do it is going to be totally different than the way that you do it. And, um, and in the future, we'll probably do it differently. Was Graham a big fan of cooking by the time it came into your life? Or is that something that transitioned into your relationship? Yeah, it's so interesting. So we met in college and he was studying history. I was studying biology. And both my parents work in the sciences, so I had never known, they didn't have any friends who were writers. And even though I was this bizarre kid who asked for a cookbook for every gift and would go over to a friend's house and and just read their cookbooks in the kitchen (laughs) from a really, really young age, even still my parents were, you know, focused on like, you should, you should go and get a normal job, like a conventional job. So in college, I was, I was majoring in biology. I did all the pre-med requirements. And, and then I met Graham. And he was the first person to sort of say and take seriously this interest in cooking. And he said to me, why are you majoring in biology when all you do is cook? I was a little bit scared to pursue it because it, it meant so much to me. And I just didn't, really didn't want to fail, I think. And so one night we're walking home from the library together and it was late. And he said, I heard that the Daily Cal, the student newspaper, is looking for a new columnist. You should apply and write about food and you should write recipes for them. And I was like, you're crazy. They'll never choose me. I have zero experience, no qualification to do that. And then he said, 
well, I'll write it with you. We can, we can co-author it. Because he was a history major, he was writing all the time, and he's a great writer. So that felt like, okay, well, if we do it together, then maybe this could work. So we applied and we got it. And that was my first food writing job, really. And he's since then been super, super supportive. And part of it, I think, is that he's also taken an interest in cooking from then. He has this great big family on his mom's side. They're Lebanese. And so they have these huge dinners with, you know, like the whole table covered in dishes. And it's and aunts and uncles and cousins. And it's fantastic. And so they've always had really good food, but he, I don't think he was so into it until we met in college. And then he's slowly, you know, gotten more and more into it and, and now has certain dishes that, like, he may only roast the chicken every week, pretty much. We make a roasted chicken, and that's, like, his thing. And his, he has two younger brothers. They've gotten really into cooking, too. Each of them got a cast iron skillet. And they're really careful to clean it and, and season it. And so it's sweet to see how much of a difference it's made. Just meeting him, I think, really, this book would never have existed if we hadn't, hadn't done that, that student newspaper. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you to Maria Ziska for visiting us in Seattle and to Artisan Publishing. As always, you can get 10% off a copy of The Newlywed Table and any other books featured on the Booklarder podcast by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code PODCAST at checkout. And if you shop in person at Booklarder, just mention that you heard about a book on the podcast and you'll still get the 10% off. This episode was produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme music was composed by James Coley. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is at BookLarder. For more information about BookLarder, including author talks, cooking classes, and to join our monthly email newsletter, visit BookLarder.com. And if you find yourself in Seattle, please visit us at 4252 Fremont Avenue North. I'm Laura Hamilton. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.